Hello and welcome all you spiritual rebels, heretics, and consciousness revolutionaries out there. My name is Lawrence Gallian, and this is The Silence of the Mind, the most direct and experiential podcast to help you attain enlightenment and self-actualization in this lifetime. We are not believers. We are experiencers. Greetings, everybody. Welcome to my channel, and thanks for listening. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe. It would mean the world to me. I do urge you to send me a Facebook invitation and that way I will add you to my list of friends as I regularly post interesting information for all my spiritually rebellious, heretical, and consciousness revolutionary friends. Just please add a little message. You can just put the word silence or silence of the mind, and I'll know that it's you. I want to talk a little bit about the name, The Process. I have dropped my name from that name as I have researched to the best of my ability and have not found any existing spiritual technique, method, and so forth that is using this name. I had mentioned that I had called it the Galian process to differentiate it from any other existing method. Also, I am aware that Krishnamurti called the painful seizure-like episodes that he had the process. However, I am not implying in any of these podcasts that you need to have epileptic-type seizures. In Krishnamurti's diary, he described first-hand accounts of persistent, unusual physical experiences and states of consciousness. Throughout his life, from 1922 to 1986, Krishnamurti experienced mysterious states of extreme pain as well as transcendental bliss. His followers did not think these experiences were medical or biological in nature. However, others state that attempts to reveal the actual nature of these experiences were repressed. Krishnamurti claimed that these sometimes daily experiences were necessary to prepare him physiologically to receive the spirit being that spoke through him. However, the process is not a name for Krishnamurti or anyone else's, to the best of my research, name for their spiritual procedure or method or teachings. And while I enjoy many of Krishnamurti's insights, I am most definitely not a follower of Krishnamurti. You are evolving every day. 
And because of this spiritual evolution, I sense that process is an excellent term for what I am sharing. There are many ways to the top of the mountain as there are people on earth. I do not want the process to become a dogma or to imply in any way that it is the only way to attain illumination and self-actualization. What I am offering you in these podcasts are various spiritual methods and teachings that have a high probability of helping you along on your spiritual path. I do not believe that every method that various teachers give to their students is a helpful method. As we have spoken about, there are many gurus and teachers who are frauds, abusers, manipulators, and yes, thieves. It would be naive of me to imply that all paths are equal. However, each person is unique and needs to understand himself or herself so that each person can understand their spiritual needs. For example, some people need a very disciplined approach to their spirituality, while others need to improvise. It is just like a musician. Some classical musicians find fulfillment playing the compositions of dead composers, while other musicians, like jazz musicians and some rock and hip-hop musicians, need spontaneity and lots of freedom. When I use the term, the process, I am talking about your process, means, methodology, methods, exercises, and so forth. I am referring to your unique way of making contact with source, or you may call it cosmic realignment. I am here to offer you clues, inspiration, companionship on the way, and the fruit of my own personal experience, study, and practice as a student of spirituality for more than 50 years. As Peter Carroll says, quote, I consider only the totality of what I do. I proceed through time as a process, unquote. The process is a spiritual way in which we do believe in the beyond, but we firmly believe in spiritual cross-pollination as well as community. There is no doctrine in the process. The time for binary religion is over. In the process, there is the direct experience of each participant that each participant must discover.
the foundation is always know thyself. Ideally and eventually, I hope the process will become a sharing of those individual experiences so that we can cross-pollinate and continue to discover new spiritual methods that will serve us as we are all unique, but unique as individual waves of one ocean. We are simultaneously individuals and at the same time one-of-a-kind manifestations of the one source. We are more than just interconnected. We are one. But unfortunately, we are living in times in which so many seekers do not have what I might call functional spirituality, or in other words, a useful spiritual practice that has results. Therefore, I'm getting the ball rolling by offering my configurations, my insights into how to break through reality tunnels and become free or twice born. In the future, I hope the process will become decentralized spirituality that supports collaboration. However, there is a danger in spiritual cross-pollination, and it is this. People have a tendency to reach for what is easy and pleasing to their reptilian brains. In other words, this is why I envision any future for the process to include depth psychology in which each participant deeply explores his or her unconscious in order that the spiritual way he or she creates is not an unrestrained recreation area of unconscious impulses. We have seen over and over how innumerable spiritual groups turn into excuses for unrestrained excesses and after a few years fall apart. Usually, this is the fault of the guru or priest, teacher of the group. That is why I do not want the process to have a guru. That is not to say that elders will not be honored, respected, and listened to, but that no one will become Pope, so to speak, of the process. For now, I will not leave you hanging with no guidance from this one who has explored the spiritual field all his life. However, just think of me as an elder, a compassionate friend, even, you could say, a mountain guide who will help you ascend the spiritual mountain. If I were to climb Mount Everest, 
I would most definitely take along a mountain guide. I would be foolish not to listen to and follow his advice about climbing the mountain. Nevertheless, I would be equally foolish if I would listen to and follow his advice about who I should marry, what kind of music I should play on the piano, or what kind of car would be the best car to buy. So, too, spiritual guides and coaches can be very helpful in your spiritual pursuits, but they have no business meddling in your personal life. Ordinarily, the mind is limited to the knowledge that it harvests from the perceptual screens of its sense organs. We know there are limitations to the information these sense organs can gather. Consequently, human beings have sought through the ages ways to augment these five senses. For instance, most people are aware that we cannot see infrared and ultraviolet with the unaided eye. Therefore, we have developed special binoculars, camera film, satellites, and other instrumental sensors to enable us to, quote-unquote, see infrared and ultraviolet light. Much is going on in the universe of which our five senses and all our scientific instruments are unaware. And we are becoming more and more conscious of the fact that what we think we perceive with our senses is in no way an accurate portrayal of what is really out there. For as long as humanity has walked the face of this earth, there have been persistent reports of the existence of realms that are not perceptible to the five senses, but are subjectively perceived. Verification of these realms through scientific testings has been difficult. However, today, increasing recognition and legitimacy is being given to the reality of inner existence, or the noumenal realm. It has been advanced that the inner worlds are just as necessary to the foundation of existence as are the outer worlds. Awakening these slumbering senses requires spiritual discipline. Nonetheless, it is the solemn responsibility for the spiritual student to attain supersensible or theophanic vision. The freer the student is of ego, the more he or she can discern the meaning hidden within every form and thus see things 
as they truly are. For by gaining an intimation of what things symbolize on a spiritual level, the spiritual student spiritualizes these material things. This is part of humanity's work. The spiritual student must not simply process sensory data. Rather, he or she must see through things. This vision is mediated by the power of the heart. Polarity is the nature of reality. As such, it is the reality of our psyches. The drama of life and death takes place all around us and is not just someone else's story, but our story. Because of this polarized nature of our psyches, a need exists to adopt a spirituality that acknowledges human reality and helps humanity to make some sense of this reality. We reject old forms of spirituality that insult, ridicule, and teach people to neglect their natures. If someone objects and says that humanity should be conforming to the divine, we reply that this person does not know the nature of the divine. Dualistic patriarchal religion cuts humanity off from an entire pole of being, calling it evil and devilish. This type of religion tells people that exploring this pole of the human being is sinful and will eventually lead to being completely cut off from source, the lord of the other pole. What a terribly destructive image this is. It leads people to shun and cast themselves off from one half of their beings. A way is needed which contains a concept of absolute existence that includes both the light and the dark and life and death. If, for instance, Christianity might see Lucifer as the complement and not the enemy, it might take a valuable step on the road to becoming more holistic and respectful of human reality. If the divine cannot partake of the shadow, it cannot be divine for the divine cannot truly nourish humanity if it only feeds one pole of the human being. Each human being contains the essence within him or herself, but the knowledge remains latent in most people. It is said that emotions are the thoughts of God. 
The spiritual aspect of the human being needs emotion as the body needs food. Unfortunately, in Western society, most people do not feed their spirits the right kind of food. Most of Western society has a rather limited emotional repertoire. In our culture, great art, great music, and literature are not properly honored. Art answers the question, what are we doing here? Society at large prefers pop songs that wear out their welcome in a few weeks. Popular culture prefers ear candy to music of great meaning and complexity. Art speaks to the wordless part of our souls. Our modern society is geared more toward the momentary glimpse of pleasure. A five-minute pop song cannot approach the sophistication, the subtlety, and depth of emotion that is generated by a 45-minute symphony. Why limit the colors on your painting palette? Why limit yourselves to experiencing only certain emotions? If you do not already do so, please go to live plays with live actors in the theater. Experience these human beings directly and not as figures on a movie screen. A television slowly corrupts people's spirits by reducing their emotions to a steady drone of mild interest. Another problem with today's society is the rapidity of images flashed before you constantly surfing with your cell phone reduces everything to a blur of images, none of which retains any great significance. Distractions take you away from the inner life of the spirit. Inner soul qualities need time to grow. Psychic qualities are like seeds that must remain undisturbed in the quiet and dark earth. The illusion generated by the plethora of images on television and on your smartphones is a way to distance yourself from your feelings. Many people do not want to face their feelings. They would rather medicate their feelings through a steady stream of media noise. The way of the spiritual student is a difficult way, difficult in that it forces you to know thyself. If you are afraid to meet yourself, then you might as well give up all hopes of becoming illuminated. Many people in our culture do not know what they are missing. 
People look for a quick rush of emotion. Sex, excitement, and food form the center of people's limited palette of feeling. We suggest that spiritual students seek out circumstances that move their souls to their depths. For example, a great book can transform a person's life. In a novel, the author has the time to develop in a gradual manner emotional, psychological, social, and spiritual themes throughout many chapters. As a person reads the book, he or she becomes inspired. This inhalation of spiritual energy builds up an enormous amount of pressure inside the student's being. The pressure seeks an outlet, a catharsis, a gestalt. At precise moments in the novel, a given passage triggers a tremendous integration of meanings, giving the reader a new vision of his or her humanity. For these reasons, seek out great art, music, and literature. If you enjoyed this show, it would mean so much to me if you subscribed or followed this podcast. I am not selling you anything or even asking you to donate to Patreon because I know what this virus is doing to people's livelihood, to their income. What I offer, I offer to you for free. You can help our cause the most by just clicking the following or subscribe button and you will never miss an episode of Lawrence Gallian's The Silence of the Mind. <laughs>